Thanks for joining us for today's message. Our mission here at Plum Creek is to help you experience intimacy with God, intentionality with family, and influence with others. Our hope is that what you hear today will impact and challenge you to love God and the people around you in a whole new way. We'd encourage you to check us out online at PlumCreekOnline.com to see how Plum Creek is impacting our community and what opportunities we might have for you or for your family to get connected. If you'd like to support the ministry we're doing here in Castle Rock, the two easiest ways are through our website, PlumCreekOnline.com slash give or via text. Just text any dollar amount to 720-606-5563. Thanks again for joining us today. Uh, some of you know that uh, on occasion, I get an opportunity to travel a little bit and to speak to those that are starting churches and other pastors. And uh, at several of those events that, that I've done over the years, I had an opportunity to meet this guy named Greg, Greg Ford, who is part of the teaching team when we go and uh, put on these conferences. And Greg's an amazing communicator. And what really caught my attention since we're talking about Ohio State is that he planted a church in Columbus. It's called One Church. You can check them out online, and uh, Greg is doing a wonderful job, amazing leader, phenomenal communicator, and our hearts are connected because he's a Buckeye fan, so that also helped us supercharge and fast-track that relationship, but uh, I've had a chance to spend some time with Greg in Columbus. I've attended their church, spent several days with their team. He's, he's a good friend, phenomenal. You guys, we're blessed today to have him continue our series, 6-8, uh, so will you do me a favor? Give Greg a huge Plum Creek welcome. Love you, man. Good morning. What an honor to be here with you today. Um, Pastor Doug called me a couple months ago and uh, asked me to be a part of this. I think initially he was planning to be out of town and asked me to fill in. And so uh, I was just so excited. I circled and started on the calendar. I've been really pumped to be here. And so it's just a big honor. The biggest reason for that is... Uh, uh, the esteem that I have for your pastor. I know, you know we live in a day and age where it seems like all the time uh, you find out that public figures, people that stand up on stages, uh, have a gift to kind of charm people in masses, and then you find out behind the scenes that they're not, you know, their offstage persona is nothing like what they project up front, and you are blessed to have a pastor who is uh, even more integral off the stage than he is on. I've seen him in so many different scenarios working with pastors and leaders and people who are starting churches and people who really, frankly, in, uh, you know, kind of the, the world we're in, they don't have much to offer him, and yet he has a ton to offer them, and he takes time and gets down in the weeds and prays with these people. And I wish you could see him uh, in the scenarios that I've seen him, uh, but I want to just report to you what a, what a wonderful leader that you have, someone whose gifts match their character, and uh, you're truly blessed. That's what, no surprise why... Uh, God is using him and using all of you to do something very special in this season of time now. I feel like I grew up, you know, I grew up in church. I, I feel like I always grew up hearing people say, you know, I think God wants to move. And I wasn't exactly sure what that meant. Um, you know, maybe God's doing something fresh and new, I think is what people meant by that. But, but uh, you know, hey, I think God's going to move. I think God wants to move. I think God might move. I think God's thinking about maybe moving. Well, I want you to know, God's moving. I mean, something's happening here, clearly, and I just encourage you to just get in it. Just jump in both feet and lend your sword to the fight of what's going on. Uh, so, Pastor Doug, thank you for the honor of being here today. I love you, man. You're a, you're a wonderful person. Um, so, before I get into yeah, hey, why not? 
Before I get into the message today, uh, I want to just kind of introduce my family. They weren't able to be here today, but we, this last week, we took a family vacation. And uh, we went to the uh, vacation capital of the world, Eureka, Kansas. You know, when you tell people you went on vacation to Eureka, Kansas, you have to explain yourself a little bit. So let me explain. Uh, I have an uncle that has a, he has a, a lake house in uh, Eureka, Kansas, and it's awesome. I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's like a one-horse town. The stars pop out of the sky at night, and uh, I mean, there's all kinds of fish in this lake. So uh, we took our, my wife and I took our three kids, and we went fishing all week and on a boat, whipping around on a jet ski and on a tube and all that kind of stuff. It just had a great time. This is my family. So uh, top left is my wife, Shaylin, and uh, she's just the best person I've ever met. And I've never, never met anybody quite like her. She's a real blessing. I hope you get to meet her sometime. Uh, in the middle is my daughter, Ella. She's seven. And, uh, I mean, she is just pure as pure can be. Wonderful young lady. Loves Jesus. She's trying to take over the church, you know, in Columbus. Uh, she, seriously, you ask her what she wants to do. She says, I'm going to be the president and a preacher. That's what she, she wants to be both. I don't know if you can do that really in our nation, but that's all right. But uh, she, she wants to do that. And then, um, and then to the left there is our son, Hudson. He's four. You're getting a real good look at the back of his head. By the way, this, this, this family picture, okay, I was coming here and I thought, you know, I'm going to introduce my family via picture. And, I'm, you know, we don't really have an up-to-date family picture. So this was our attempt. This was our best shot. Uh, at getting a family picture. Anybody ever had one of these wonderful, blessed experiences of a family picture with a seven, four, and one-year-old? And, you know, you're putting the kids in the pictorial full Nelson, you know, trying to, you know, just get them right before they pass out. They'll go, take it, take it, take it, take it, you know. Um, but, but that's what we tried to do. Hudson wasn't having it. Now, uh, Hudson um, claims to be a follower of Jesus, uh, but we have seen no fruit in his life yet. Uh, we're, we're, we're believing for this. You know, he just, at this point, four years old, he just kind of loves to sin. So it's just kind of wake up in the morning, sin first thing, Cheerios, sin, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, sin. It just kind of keeps going. But we're really believing that it's going to match up. And then we have Miles uh, there, and that's his biggest smile that he had for you there. So uh, that's my family. And, uh, you know, man, our kids are, are a real blessing. You know, they really are. And you know, as we have three of them, you know, <clears throat> you know, the parents, you know, say, you, you know, if you have more than one child, that you love them all the same, right? Which is true, and they're all different, but I'm just to, just to tell you, you know, if we're in an airplane that's going down, I have one oxygen mask, Ella's going to get it, you know. <laughs> the boys are in huge trouble, massive. They're going to have to fight their way out. We'll just pray that scenario never takes place, but... You know, the interesting thing, it's fun to watch my family grow, and it's fun to watch our church grow, and, and, and to watch individual believers grow, and to see the correlation of human maturity, the way that people mature physically and mentally, and then the way people mature spiritually. It's almost exactly the same. It's like the perfect analogy. Uh, in fact, Jesus talks about this. He says, uh, you got to be born again. So you can be 40, 50 years old, you come to Jesus, you come to Christ, you accept Jesus, the, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, and it's like new life. Uh, Paul talks about this, he says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new is here. It's rebirth, it's a new life. And if you think of the characteristics of a baby, of a child, of an infant, um, think about it. 
They cry a lot, uh, somewhat high maintenance. They bring great energy. They're cute. They're wonderful. Uh, but they make messes in their diapers and they need to be fed. All these things. But you, you, you get it. You're not mad about that. You, you know, you don't, we don't blame Miles at one for pooping his diaper. We're just like, okay, that's what you do when you're one. And, but this is what happens to believers. You know, you come to Christ. I mean, imagine some of you are here. Maybe recently you've come to a relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit has entered your heart and you find new desires. You see the world differently. And some new things. You hadn't thought this way before, but you are now. But you're still making messes. Okay, and you're still kind of crying a lot and a bit high maintenance and you need fed and all this. That's fine. That's totally fine. Be patient with yourself. Don't feel bad about that. You're in the right place. And that's where you have a loving church of parents that just like, yeah, that's okay. It's all good. Don't be embarrassed. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Powder, powder, powder. Take a nap. You know, get back up. You're good. Um, and that's just part of the deal. So it, it, I know it's cute when it's an infant. It's not cute sometimes at 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. But it's all right. That's where you are. Just keep moving ahead. You know, the next phase, you know, you get into uh, teenager. You know, somewhere between kid and teenager, really in that season, you're tr the, the big lesson is obedience. Obey. Obey. I try to teach my kids to obey. Hey, don't play in the street. Don't touch the light socket. Don't eat bugs. You know, g g listen to what I'm telling you. Don't, don't go with strangers because they, they have to understand that I can see things they can't see. I know things they don't know. And this is what we come to Christ. You know, I'm going to do my money and my time and my energy and my relationships and sexuality and, and, and all of everything. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to just do what he says. I'm going to trust that he's God and he knows what he's talking about. I'm going to obey. Teenager, you get in that role where teenagers now, they've been around a little while. They're actually able to formulate an argument. Isn't that awesome? You know what I'm saying? They, they know enough. Their brains have developed out of the uh, concrete into abstract, so now they can actually argue. But teenagers, as much as we love teenagers, and I was a youth pastor a long time. I love teenagers. But, but, but they, they, they understand enough to argue, but they don't have enough life experience to really really know what they're talking about. I'm 15 years old. You can't talk to me like that. I'm 15. And, and it's all kind of still about them. A little bit like uh, entitled. Mine, me, my, 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 me. My stuff, my friends, my Friday night, my phone, my clothes, my, me, me. And this kind of comes into the church too. You know, people that they've been around enough. They kind of understand how church works. They know enough Bible to be dangerous. But yet it's still about them. My seat, my ministry, my sermon, my music, my, me, obsessed with personalities, posters in the locker uh, in a spiritual sense. And, and it's still about them. 20 bucks. Can I have 20 bucks? Can I have 20 bucks? I want to go out. And... Until you move past it being about you, you're still a spiritual teenager. Sorry about that. No matter how long you've been in the church, I don't care how many decades you've been, I don't care if you're going, I've been here longer than you've been alive, doesn't matter. If it's still about you, you're a teenager. You're a teenager, a spiritual teenager. Some people never quite get out of that. And then you move to the next phase, which if you think about it, in the natural, the sign, the physical sign of maturity in a human being is their ability to reproduce. You hit puberty, you now, the reproduction thing's working, and you could have a child. Eventually, then you do have a child. How many of you have had a child? You have a child, okay, and you know what happens. Something happens in your mind when that child comes out. It's not about you anymore. Now it's about them. 
Think about, think about what you did to your budget when you had a child. <laughs> think about what happened when you bought a house after you had a child. Your whole criteria changed. We got to find something that is in a school system that we like. We got to find a neighborhood our kids can make friends. We, you, you even look for a church where your kids are going to be loved and taken care of. It becomes about your child. It becomes about others. What does what, what your family movie night look like when you have small children? Not watching your movie. You know what you're watching? Let it go, let it snow, I can't hold it back anymore. We've watched that so many times, I can't take it anymore, but we do it because my kids like that movie. We sit there and I'm like, oh, really? Really frozen again? This is going to be great. We're going to be great. I've just stuffed myself with popcorn and imagined the gladiator. So it's just what we do. So, but, but it's not about me. Others focus. And this is what happens. As you mature in your faith, you begin making it about others. And not just the kids, literal kids, although we do make it about the kids, but make it about the spiritual, where people are. They go, you know what, I'm going to get up in the night now with somebody. I'm going to help somebody take steps and grow just like somebody did for me. Here's what happens, and it's, like, it's, 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 a, it's an indication of spiritual maturity, is you begin asking a different question. You, be, you stop asking God for stuff. God, give me, give me, give me, give me 20 bucks. Maybe if I'm good enough, God, I can bribe God into something. I, maybe he'll give me a good-looking wife. Maybe he'll give me a rich husband. Maybe if I give enough in the plate, he, he will give me a promotion at work. Maybe if I line up my behavior, God will do what I want him to do. That's teenage mentality. Adult mentality goes into now, God, what do you want from me? Not what do I want from you, because I understand salvation, what you've done for me. Now it's, God, what can I do for you? And this leads us into our text for the day. It's Micah 6, 8. And it's a great question. It's a, it's a wonderful um, explanation. And what I love about it is it takes this complexity and makes it simple. It's God explaining to us, look, this is what I want from you. This is what I want from you. Look at this. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But it, it says this. Micah 6, 8. O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now last week, uh, Pastor Doug, he talked about doing what's right and justice. Today I want to talk to you about loving mercy. Loving mercy. Because we got to talk about this. This is very unnatural. It's not natural to love mercy. It's not even natural to do mercy. But to love mercy? Because the nature of mercy is somebody did, did me wrong. They sinned against me. They, there's an injustice there. And now I have it within my power to either lash back out at them, to try to get even with them, to go for vengeance. Oh, you did that to me. Now I'm going to do this to you eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The, the nature of mercy is I have been done wrong. And to be willing to not pay evil for evil, to not reciprocate, but then to not only not do it, but to love not doing it? That's crazy. How do you do that? How is that even possible? And it's really hard. And the thing is, when someone does us wrong, it rubs up against our wounds and our pain. Some of you, if you grew up in a dysfunctional home with mothers and fathers that maybe abandoned you or mistreated you or didn't tell you that they loved you or didn't show up in, in your 
games and your life and, and the things you did. They didn't take much interest in you and, and, and all of that. And there's some wounds in there. When somebody in the, your boss or somebody that your neighbor, somebody rubs up against that wound and does that injustice, there's something in you that's like, no, 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 no. I've been there before. And I promised that it would never happen again. I said nobody would ever hurt me like that again. And then they do it. Now you want me to give them mercy and you want me to love it? How are we going to do that? Um, we're going to get into a, 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 an illustration, basically a, 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 an actual story of how Jesus models this. Before we do, I want to tell you about a book I read a few years ago called The Rise of Christianity by a guy named Rodney Stark. I don't even know if Rodney Stark is a, a follower of Jesus or a Christian, but he wrote the book out of a sociological, historical point of view of how in the first few centuries the church grew. Like how it spread to the entire world because it was sort of an anomaly at that point. It was the first time that a religion or something like that had spread without force, without war. And it was spreading post-Jesus with all these people and it didn't die with Jesus. Which at that point, every time this revolutionary died, his thing died with him. But this thing spread to where we're here now still talking about it. So Rodney Stark, from a very academic point of view, goes into this book and he talks about it. And he boils it down to three things. The three reasons that Christianity spread organically was, was courage, compassion, and humility. Courage, compassion, and humility. Courage. They were so courageous. The followers of Jesus were so courageous. They were willing to die for what they believed in. They lived for a life beyond this life, and so their courage was, was, was amazing. They would stare death in the face. They would go into coliseums and they would be martyred and they died well and they would do things that most people wouldn't do because they were living for something beyond so it was very uncommon courage the second one was compassion really for the first time in the world you had people going beyond their own borders into other nations and other people groups and people that weren't in their family and weren't in their tribe and they were showing compassion to other people in fact two stories I love that he brings up from history is one there was an emperor named Julian who was so bothered that these Christians were kind of taking over his land with their influence because of their compassion. And so he tried to launch a counterattack of compassion. Hey, we're going to out-compassion the compassion people, the Christians, you know, because they, they're taking over our land. So he's like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to be more compassionate than them. But his whole thing was a power grab, so it didn't last. It didn't work. There was no really power behind it. It was just because he wanted to be powerful. And so it fizzled out and they continued to spread because of the, the engine behind the compassion was the power of the Holy Spirit in these believers. And they would do like Jesus did. They would show up to a crowd and see compassion just like Jesus did. They were doing the same thing. The second story is they, they, um, um, they talked about how in that day there were leprosy. There were these leper colonies and these Christians would go into leper colonies and care for lepers which was not happening anywhere at that time because people were afraid of catching leprosy. And so literally lepers were abandoned by their own families. Mom, dad, brother, sister, gone. You go, we're going to isolate you, quarantine the lepers. Well, the Christians were like, they went in. And some people died of leprosy and some people survived and lived and those that survived all converted to Christianity because they're like, you were the one that was there when nobody else was there for me. And they saw that. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit filled them. And now they began to become a part of it. So compassion. The third one was humility, which is the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of understanding that I am a sinner. Regardless of my resume, regardless of my degree, regardless of my net worth, I, I can't save myself. 
I'm a sinner and I've been forgiven when I least deserved it and least expected it. Regardless of race, age, whatever, man, that's where I am. And so it brings you really down to a place of humility to go, I'm not any better than anybody else. And boy, isn't there something amazing about courage and humility together? Because we tend to think in our world, courage is the one that thumps their chest and powers up and prideful. But to have somebody who's courageous and humble, wow, that's irresistible. So that began to spread through the entire world. Hey, friends, I bet it would work again. I bet it would work again. In this crazy world we live in, where everybody's eye for eye, tooth for a tooth, you do this to me, I'll do that to you. Uh, in places where we have so many divisions, I bet you courage, compassion, and humility would work again. And when you think about the idea of loving mercy, it really takes all of those things. It takes tremendous courage. It takes a tremendous compassion. And it takes a humble, humble person to do this. What does this look like? How do we do this? Perfect story from Jesus' life, okay? I'm gonna summarize it for you. It's John chapter eight. Don't go there now. Go there sometime this week and read through it. One of the best stories in the Bible. Jesus is growing in influence, okay? So Jesus, because he's doing miracles and because he's an amazing teacher, he's gathering huge crowds everywhere. So he's got this big crowd and because of his influence, he is a threat to the authoritarians and the religious leaders because now the people are following him. And so they, 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 it was like their A1 mission to try to take him out. So what they do is they think, we, we, we get the perfect plan. We're going to catch him in a zinger, a catch-22 situation. So Jesus is teaching, massive crowd. The religious leaders go and they get a woman who's been, she, they caught her in the act of adultery. Okay? Not, hey, we heard she might have committed adultery. She's committing adultery. They get her, they bring her out. Most historians believe in order to create a viral scene, a big scene, a, a, a spectacle, they probably didn't even let her put her clothes on. So they drag her into the public forum. And of course, this is like, if this was today, this is camera, you know, everybody's, whoa, 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 viral, viral. Okay, so everybody comes out of the woodwork to see this. And they're like, this is perfect because we're going to get Jesus. In that day, they lived by the law of Moses, Old Testament law, 613 laws of perfect righteous living down to what you eat and how you dress and how you hair and a whole deal. 613 laws. One of the laws said, if you commit adultery, you die. Now, people in that day were committing adultery and they weren't dying. They weren't killing everybody who committed adultery, but it was in the law. So they bring her to Jesus and they say, oh, great teacher. Here's this woman, big crowd, people, you know, people looking... She's committed adultery. We caught her in the act. The law says she should die. What do you say? Now, Jesus is in a catch-22. If he says, yep, kill her, and they kill her right there, it was like, wow, man, this guy's brutal. If he goes, ah, let her go. Well, now he's put himself above the law can't do that either. So, so what he's, he, 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 he just, it's the perfect, perfect answer. It's like the best answer I've ever heard. It's the best one-liner. I don't care what your favorite movie is. This is the best one-liner you've ever heard. This is better than, you can't handle the truth, or, you know, whatever, you know, few good men. This is the best. Jesus goes, 
Yep, she should die. Everybody get a rock. Get a rock. Get a rock. Everybody grab a rock. Everybody, we're going to stone this woman to death because she deserves to die for her. She did. She committed adultery. It's in the law. Go ahead. Everybody grab a rock. Everybody grabs a rock. They all grab rocks. He's like, everybody get around. You ready? We're going to stone this lady. Okay, we're going to stone her right here. Everybody got a rock. Everybody got a rock. Everybody grabs a rock. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. One on the count of three. One, two, he without sin cast the first stone. And everybody goes. The Bible says that one by one, from oldest to youngest, they put their rock down and disappeared, walked away. So now it's Jesus and this woman by themselves. It doesn't say this in the scripture. I bet he got her like a towel, you know, cover up. Okay, so they stand there and he's like, so what's up? Did no one stay to accuse you? Did nobody hear? What happened to your accusers? Did not one of them stay? She said, no, Lord, not one stayed to accuse me. And Jesus says to her, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Jesus, because he loved this woman, loved mercy. He loved mercy because he loved her. You won't love mercy until you love people. And think about this. Notice what Jesus does. He beats back the bully on her behalf. He fights back for her. He stands up for her. He puts his name on the line. He stands between her and everybody with a rock and shows mercy. And then what he says when everybody's gone, he says, hey, Stop what you're doing. You don't want to do this anymore. This adultery thing is not going to get you where you want to go. This adultery thing, like, hey, that's somebody's husband. And you are somebody's wife. And your children, this is, is this the sort of legacy you want to create? Is this the life you want? Because I know you have wounds and I know you have pain and I know this is like anesthesia for a little bit, but it's going to wear off and I'm telling you, it's going to take you further than you want to go and it's going to keep you longer than you want to be there and just because it gives you a brief moment of reprieve, it's not going to help. It's making you sicker. So here's what I'm, I love you enough. Hey, I'm the guy that just took up, stood between you and the rocks. I love you enough to say, don't do this anymore. you got to stop now. And Jesus took up for this woman. When you love people, you will love mercy. If people to you are just a big old group, a grouping of people, or you see them in one dimension, my boss, my neighbor, people that rub up against you, that you're like, eh, I just see them as an obnoxious person or someone who has harmed me in one way. I see them in one dimension instead of the many dimensions that we all have. I will, I will not love mercy. And Jesus, because of who he was and what he was all about, he was able to quickly love. Now, let me tell you what we'll do in our human nature. Without the Holy Spirit producing fruit in our lives, here's what we'll do. It's just, I do it, you'll do it. We, categ- we, we, we catalog the injustices done to us. So there's a good story of someone who's been unjust to me and we sit down over coffee and you go, hey, tell me about X. I'll go, 
I'll tell you, they did this and that, and then they did that, and I was real nice over there, and then they did all that. I will just tell you, I, I just catalog in my mind where I've been done wrong, but then all the times I've sort of gotten away with stuff, or I didn't get it as bad as I should have had it, or I flat out did something I shouldn't have done, I, I, I want to forget about that. I kind of just, oh, yeah, yeah, that didn't really happen. I don't want to bring that up. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to visit that. I will catalog the injustices that have been done to me, push away from the ones that I've done. What the gospel does is it lets us know, first of all, we deal with us. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I deserve death. I'm not Jesus in this equation. I'm the woman caught in the act. And because of what Jesus did for me, now I love people and love mercy, and I'm empowered through the Holy Spirit. This is, this, this is the most amazing thing. The, 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 in Matthew 22, they come to Jesus. A man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. I can't even keep them all straight. Can you help me out? What's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Look at this, Matthew 22. Uh, go ahead and bring it up, verse 36. He says, teacher, what's the most important commandment of the law of Moses? The 613. I can't keep 613. What's the most important? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire 613 and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. And what Jesus understood is if he, can, if he can get you and I to focus on loving people in the big, messy, complexity, imperfection, once I get to know them, in the way that Jesus did, which is while we were sinners, he died for us, then all of a sudden everything that flows out of that love is right. I will love mercy. I will put you first. I will be less about me and more about you and more about God. And he says, basically, if you can love God and love people like Jesus did, sacrificial, demonstrating love in, that, in our worst state, that's when we were loved, you're going to love mercy. I'll prove it to you like this. Right now, in your mind, think of the, the person in, your, in this world that you love the most. All right? Think about that person. Imagine for a moment they committed a crime. They did it. They literally did it. They robbed something. They did something they shouldn't have done. And now they've got to go to court. and They've got to go to sentencing. That morning you would be on your knees begging God for mercy on behalf of the person you love. You would be begging the judge. You would write a letter. Judge, you don't, please go easy. This is why you see people who have committed heinous crimes, you know, on TV being taken away. And their mom is crying and going, but you don't understand. That's my baby. You, I've seen him at his best. I know what he's capable of. I know he did that thing, but that's not who he is. I've seen him at his best. He's better than what you all have seen. I've seen sides of him that you haven't seen because she loves him. And she's seen him at his best and she knows what he could be. And because of that, she goes to the judge and says, please, mercy. And if I don't see people through the eyes of love and through the filter of love, I, I'll just want vengeance. 
I just want them to get what's coming to them. I want them to get what they deserve. But when I have the eyes of Jesus who would stand between the rock and the woman and say, he without sin cast the first stone. you got to stop what you're doing. Now here's the good news. The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. First one, love. Another one, patience. Mercy. Mercy. And we will love mercy when we love like Jesus. So here's what you have in your life. And I bring her, bring her in for a landing today, okay? This is it. You have an opportunity today to put down the rock or to pick up the rock. To put down the rock and to love mercy or to pick up the rock of vengeance. I want to ask you two questions. I want you to really at, wrestle with these today and when we leave from here. The first question is you dealing with you. What is, where do you need to give yourself mercy? Where do you need to give yourself mercy? I see so many people who cannot forgive themselves. And this is why the gospel seems to some like a gimmick that you would say, Greg, you don't understand the long list of my sins. You don't understand I've been caught in the act, dead in the water. And you're telling me I just pray a prayer? I just believe something and I'm all of a sudden forgiven? The gimmick, the reason it's not a gimmick is because the payment was so expensive. Jesus paid for your debt. So quit going through the cash register and trying to keep repaying it. You got the receipt. It's the blood of Jesus. So don't go to pay for something that's already been paid for. Where do you need to give yourself mercy? What are the things you've been unwilling to forgive yourself? You keep beating yourself up over it. And it's leading you from one bad relationship to another bad relationship. And it's causing you to spend money in ways and go into debt that you shouldn't go into. And it's causing you to live with no peace. And no matter how much you achieve and no matter how much you have. And everybody looks at you from the outside and they think, man, she's got the life. And they think he's got it going on. And you know inside I have no peace because I can't give myself mercy. I want you to know the same Jesus that stood between the woman and the rock stands between you and the rock and offers you mercy. Where do you need to give yourself mercy? And then the second one is, where do you need to give mercy to someone else? Where do you need to give mercy for someone else? Friend, you have a, you, you have a choice. They did you wrong, flat out. It wasn't just, it wasn't right, you didn't deserve it. They should not have treated you that way. They sh the, some, for some of you, the people who should have loved you the most have hurt you the most. It wasn't right. You didn't deserve it. Now you're dealing with the wound and everything in you wants to lash back out. You're in the business deal with somebody and you held up your end of the bargain. They didn't hold up theirs. Everything in you wants just, it's, you're rooting for them to fail. If you get a chance, you kind of twist it a little bit so that they fail. Anytime I look for my vengeance, places where I kind of hope for vengeance, I know there's a lack of love. What are the places for you that you need to put down the rock? What are the places you need to show mercy to somebody else? Let's do as David did and ask God to search our hearts and to transform, to renew our minds, as it says in Romans, to where I could have the kind of mind that doesn't choose vengeance, 
that chooses mercy, not just through grit, grit teeth and white knuckles, but says, I'm going to love mercy because I love people. Let's pray. Jesus, your word humbles us because we see our humanity, we see our flaws so clearly. We listen to a, a, a story of a woman caught in the act and we know that's us. I mean, we all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. We've all been caught in the act. And yet, Lord, some of us many times forget the tremendous grace and mercy that's been ex- extended to us and we get caught up in the injustices to us and around us. Lord, help us to do as Jesus did to love mercy and yet not ignore justice. He, he, he did the just thing. Don't sin anymore. But yet loved people so much that he wanted to see them achieve what they had been created in heaven to be. If you're here this morning and you say, Greg, I'll be honest with you today. I came into the room and honestly, I've been living for myself. You know, you're talking about the Holy Spirit filling a person and being transformed by the renewing of mind and love and joy and peace and patience, all this stuff. That's that's honestly not me. I'm I'm in my own power. I'm self-confident, self-reliant. It's really been about me and my dreams. Today, I want to surrender all to Jesus. Friend, I want to tell you how significant this moment is. I stand before you today, the grandchild of two alcoholics that had never stepped foot in church, and their landlord in Chanute, Kansas, took the time to love them, to invite them to a service like this, where they heard the gospel swallowed their pride and made a decision that didn't just change their life, changed my parents' life, changed my life. They set into motion something that affected generations. So for you today, I I, I want you to understand the significance of the decision, the, the decision point that you stand today, the mercy that God wants to extend to you through the work of Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Greg, I've not accepted Christ, I'm ready to. I'm humble because I've tried to do it my own way and no matter what I've succeeded at and achieved, I've just felt empty and I'm ready for the Spirit of God to fill me and to be transformed, to be a new person. If that's you, would you lift your hand, raise your hand, I wanna pray for you today. Give you that opportunity to make that decision. But lift it high, no shame, no fear. This is a happy day. Thank you. Don't believe the lie that you've done too much. Don't believe the lie that it's too late. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. Your sins can be forgiven. Your purpose can be achieved. One last time today. Anybody else you say, I want to make that decision today. I want to respond. I know I don't have all the answers, but I sense God moving on my heart right now, and I want to be obedient and respond to that. If that's you, just lift your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Anybody else? Okay. 
I want to pray also for those of you that are here. And when I talked about extending mercy to yourself, you say, that is me. I, I, I've gone through some things. I've done some things. And I've not been willing to show myself mercy. And because of that, it's been one, a big stumbling block in my life. And today, I, I want to really put this moment in cement to, to walk out of here knowing that my sins are forgiven, that God has lovingly shown me mercy and he's paid my sin in full and, and to stop beating myself up. If that's you, lift your hand. I want to pray for you today. Lift it high. Praise God. And the last group today is for those of you that say, Greg, honestly, I came in today struggling with feeling Vengeance toward someone. I've been done wrong in a scenario by a person, and it's, I've really struggled with it. And it would be enough for me to even show mercy, but to love mercy, I, I need a, it's going to be an act of God. I need the help of God. I need His Spirit to empower me, love and patience, and all the things that it's going to take to do that. I cannot do it on my own, but I know I need to today. If that's you, would you lift your hand? I'm going to pray for you. Praise God. Lord, we come before you today with our hands up, with our hearts open. Lord, very humble in your presence, knowing that these things before us are impossible without you. But Lord, you can transform us. And so, Lord, we come in childlike faith, asking you to fill us and asking you to help us and asking you to take it from Sunday morning into Monday and Tuesday and in the weeks and months to come that we can live fully surrendered to you and walking even in the difficult, dark, tough times empowered through your spirit. Today, if you lifted your hand uh, on the first response to respond to Jesus, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And if you agree with the words that I'm going to say, I want you to pray them in your mind and heart as I pray them out loud. Jesus, I surrender to you. I, I know that I need a Savior, and I understand the work that Jesus did on the cross for me. I believe that it's not just a story of history, but that the Holy Spirit is still active in, in hearts and lives and producing fruit and, and saving. And so today I ask you to save me, but not just to be my Savior, to be my Lord and my God and to guide me. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to fall, but I'm not going to turn my back. I'm going to get back up. And I'm going to keep walking forward. And Lord, I pray you would surround me with people to help me to grow. And Lord, I'll be submissive and I'll listen. And, and Lord, I'll search for purpose. God, I take myself out of the driver's seat of my life to the passenger seat. And I ask you to take me where you want me to go. I'm yours. I'm yours. Transform and change me to be more like you and to do your will and your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, congratulations. We are so excited for you, and we'd love to equip you with some resources, some next steps, and a complimentary gift. Just text the word FAITH to 40650. And if today you just need to talk to someone or would like to have someone pray with you, you can call our church office at 303-663-1714 and one of our pastors would be happy to spend some time with you. From everyone here at Plum Creek, have a great day.